So let's dive into our series, into our sermon, our message today. We're in Discovering Joy. Last week it was Joy in Unity. We talked about seeking harmony by leading with love, being slow to speak, quick to listen, holding loose to our own opinions while holding tightly to our convictions, all while practicing Christ-like humility. So I'm curious, was anybody able to seek and find harmony or unity in any way this past week? Maybe you had an honest conversation with someone. Or maybe you spent more time listening in a conversation than talking, which was maybe a challenge for you. Or perhaps you considered some of your opinions that you, you tend to hold on to tightly, and you started to just loosen your grip on them a little as you recognized something about them that was perhaps a little away from being Christ-like. Now I hope and trust you will continue to dive in and lead with this Christ-like humility, to listen, to seek, understanding, to lead with love, because as this past week told us, our country continues to hurt and cry out. And it's going to continue to be hurting and crying out, uh, both in helpful and harmful ways. And it always will, because while there is injustice, that's going to happen. And we know there are racial injustices that have persisted that we've been dealing with more so recently. That's top of mind right now. And yet we also know we're in a broken, sinful world. So there will always be reason to seek harmony and peace. And we all have a part to play in seeking the shalom of our unity of our brothers and sisters. So I just encourage you to keep at it. Don't fall asleep to it. Uh, don't, don't, don't shy away from it. Keeping the peace is our call as Christians. So keep at it. I'm so encouraged by you who have been diving into that this past week. Uh, and keep seeking Christ through it all. Now today... We are talking about the joy that we have when we gather at this table. The joy we find at the table. We're reading Philippians 3 this week. Who here read Philippians 3 a few times through this past week? How was that for you? Did you notice anything exciting or different or surprising as you kept opening it up this past week? I'd love for you to share what that, what, uh, what that was in the comments. Now, we've been talking about discovering joy, but this chapter, you may notice Philippians 3, it only mentions joy one time, and it's right at the very beginning, and then things kind of take a surprising turn. So let's dive in together and see what it says. We're going to read from Philippians 3, 1 through 11. And uh, as we read, I'd love for you to, to mention out loud with those you're with or here in the comments what stands out to you, what surprises you. And what encourages you? Let's dive in. Philippians 3, 1 through 11 goes like this. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. There's that joy. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Now look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, 
I mean, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. So boy, it uh, starts out harshly, doesn't it? After that first verse, watch out for those dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators of the flesh. That's a totally different tone uh, than the first couple chapters here in Philippians. It seems out of place even. Seems like he copy and pasted it from one of his other letters or something. It's not that happy, joyful uh, kind of vibe he had going before this. Even earlier in the letter, he, he was addressing critics, but he kind of brushed them off like it was no big deal. But here we go with a shift in the tone, and it's a little bit jarring, especially when you read through the entire letter. So what is he talking about, and why is he so fired up all of a sudden? I want you to think back for a minute. Think back to our series on Acts, uh, for those of you that were journeying with us at that time. Do you remember the Jerusalem Council? It's where it was determined by the early church that Gentiles did not need to become Jewish and subscribe to Jewish customs and ceremonial laws to become Christian. Well, some 10 to 11 years later, when Paul's writing this letter, there's still a group, and they're called the Judaizers. And they believed that all Christians must also be Jewish too. Meaning, they have to observe all ceremonial laws. And that includes for men to be circumcised. Now, essentially, this group of people, Paul is describing, they did not see Jesus' death and resurrection as enough to save us. But they believed that we must do something to justify ourselves. This term dog, first they're not talking about actual dogs, or they're not using it as like a friendly term you may call, like you may use with your friends, like, hey dog. No, dog was a highly insulting term back then. I mean, think of one of the worst things you can call someone. Now, turn to someone uh, next to you, 
And do not call them that name because that would be wrong. Don't do it. No, Paul isn't pulling any punches here. He, he, is, he called them evildoers, right? Here's the thing. Paul used to be one of them. That's why he's not pulling any punches. He used to be one of them. Actually, you could even say he was their poster boy. Uh, for instance, think about um, what do you think when I say uh, Frosted Flakes? Tony the Tire, right? They're great. Uh, what do you think of when I say uh, NBA? Jordan or uh, LeBron, Steph, I guess, depending how old you are. What do you think of when I, when I say the most beautiful, kind, and caring person in the world? Now, married men, the right answer is now and always will be your wife. Okay? What do you think of when I say State Farm? Jake from State Farm with his khakis. So you see, Paul was kind of the poster boy when he was Saul. He was the perfect Jew. He had the right upbringing, the right nationality, the right family. He had an inheritance, the right orthodoxy. He did all the right things. He was rising the ranks, persecuting those unruly Christians, and he was making a name for himself. He held on so tightly to that high and holy, rigid morality. And then, essentially, he was the model of everything the Judaizers stood for. And then, what did Saul, then Paul, come to learn when he encountered Jesus? Even the most impressive credentials fall short of God's holy standards. No human achievement, no matter how impressive, can earn a person salvation and eternal life with God. That's what Paul means when he says he counts it all, all the prestige, all the hard work, the high standing, the achievements, the piety, the rule following, all of it. He counts as loss for the sake of Christ. He came to realize it stood between him and God. He realized he made the laws, the law, his God, instead of the God of the law, his God. He had resisted God's grace by trying to live without it. He wanted to do it all on his own, so he followed all the rules. He lived a good life. He did every single thing in his power and on his own strength to do what he thought was right. But what happened when he relied on his own strength instead of God's? When he believed in his own wisdom instead of God's? It minimized his reliance on God. I'd like you to think about it another way. Not everyone rebels against God by being bad. Some of us rebel against God by being good. We try and earn a seat at this table. 
We seek to earn righteousness. We want to prove ourselves that we are worthy, that we can do anything on our own if we have enough grit, determination, creativity, elbow grease, and the right essential oil. We don't want to need others or to have to rely on others. We don't want to need grace because that's for the flawed, for the weak. So we try our hardest to follow the rules so that we don't actually have to rely on God. But that does not make us righteous. What does it make us? Any ideas? Yeah, there's a term for it. It makes us self-righteous. True righteousness, we know, comes from God. Some of us rebel against God by being good. Let's look at that a little bit more. You see, this rebellion, it masterfully is disguised as faithfulness. I mean, this is the thing, this rebellion, that Paul considered a total loss. It didn't make him holier or closer to God. It actually made him less. It pushed him away. Now, take a moment and consider yourself. I want to invite you to be open and honest. I want you to ask God right now, right now, ask God, is this me? Is there any trace of this in me? Am I trying to earn my way into heaven? Am I relying on my own strength? Am I simply trying to measure up? Am I so caught up with putting up appearances, going through the motions, checking all the boxes at the expense of a relationship with you? that I'm missing out on the gift of grace that is found only in relationship with you. Is it me? Is there any of that within me? You see, Paul, he recognizes that confidence in the flesh, in ourselves, will always steal our joy. It will always let us down, which is why we need to place our confidence in Christ. He is the one who measures up so that we don't have to. We can never be perfect. It takes very little for us to know that, doesn't it? <laughs> Has anyone been perfect yet this morning? Hmm? Anybody? Anyone been perfect? If you just raised your hand and said, I've been perfect this morning, you're no longer perfect today. I'm sorry to say, because no matter how hard we try, we can't be perfect. I mean, if Paul couldn't do it, this is Paul. I know Kevin can't. I know you can't. There's only one who is. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, that is freeing. That is liberating. Because instead of striving for perfection, we can stop our striving and just let the perfect one be perfect enough for us all. As we seek to be more like him, 
knowing we will never be perfect. See, trying to be perfect ourselves, it costs so much, so much, and it will constantly let us down because we will constantly fall short. The price has already been paid. Our God doesn't want perfection. He wants our presence and progress. God isn't focused on the end result. He desires a relationship as we work to be more like him. So we press on, press on, as it says after our passage today, to make our faith our own. Not seeking perfection, but being present in relationship with God. See, Paul's passion in these verses, it's fueled by his own thankfulness that he was delivered from being a slave to trying to measure up. He's passionate about others experiencing the freedom that he now has because he knows what it's like to be one of them. To be in their shoes. <laughs> He's writing from jail with chains on him, and yet when he was truly not free was when he was a slave without even realizing it. So where in your life has God delivered you? Where has he brought you into freedom, and he now invites you to share in your newfound joy with others? Often the things God brings us through is the thing he has prepared us for to help others through that in their own lives. So what is that for you? Now we, we cannot earn righteousness. We can't. We cannot earn our way into heaven for all we do on our own power. It's a loss when we come to know and walk with Christ our Lord. We can't earn our way. We simply accept the joy that is found in Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote, we don't have a righteousness of our own that comes from following, following the law or the rules. It's a righteousness that comes through faith. Faith in Christ. A faith grounded in relationship. That's how we know him. And that's how we come to know the power of his resurrection and come to receive our own resurrection. So we will press on, not to increase our accolades or our own prestige, but to make his name great and to grow in our walk, our relationship with Christ. This is what we believe. This right here is where we find our righteousness. We receive it from the giver of these gifts, which are the gifts of God, for the people of God. See, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gathered at dinner the night before his brutal death, the very night he was betrayed. He gathered with his closest friends, his disciples, his followers, and the first leaders of his ongoing church. He reclines at the table. He knows he will sacrifice everything. His health, his safety, 
his comfort, his friendships, his very life. And he will do this for his people. He will be broken in every sense of the word. He does this. He sacrifices everything so that you and I do not need to strive for perfection, but simply believe in him, the one who is perfect. And so, on that night, he took the bread. He gave thanks, and he broke it. He told his disciples, and he tells you and me, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you have your bread, I invite you to give a piece to whoever is partaking of communion with you. Hold the bread. Consider it as the source of life. And as all of you receive the bread and you look upon it, may you break it. Look at it. And as you look upon this bread, as you look at the crumbs, as you see how frail it is, think of Jesus Christ who says, do this. Remember, honor, celebrate my life, my death, my victory over sin, my victory over your sin. Remember my resurrection and the freedom that it brings for you from death. Do this, but not just in mind. Not just because we are supposed to, but because, not just because it checks some box. We do this as a faith response to all we have in our all-loving God. We remember him in how we live our lives each and every day. We will honor him by living like him and for him, and in relationship with him. We will celebrate him because Jesus is the best there ever was and will ever be. He is our God that willingly gave up everything. He was broken for you. If you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are truly sorry for your sins, then I invite you to take and eat. For this is the body of Christ, broken for you. Later on that same night, after dinner, Jesus took the cup another sign and seal of the covenantal relationship he enters into willingly with all who believe in him. He gave thanks, he poured it out, and he offered it to his disciples. Just as he offers this cup to us. I invite you now to pour your juice and distribute it to all who are partaking at this time. 
And as you receive the cup, as you have the cup, I want you to look at it. Look inside and consider Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who says, do this. Not just taking the element, but do this. Pour yourselves out. Surrender. Let go of control and invite me to gently guide you. Don't seek your own glory. Seek my glory. Surrender to God. Instead of filling our lives with everything that we desire, we instead empty our lives to make a difference for God's kingdom cause, just as Jesus did for us. We remember. We remember that Jesus Christ was fully poured out. And by accepting his gift of grace, and as we seek to live a life of humility, sacrifice, and generosity, we find the joy that is found in him alone. So look in the cup and see your reflection in the juice. Jesus Christ was broken and poured out for you. Take and drink, for this cup represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for the complete forgiveness of your sins. Praise be to God. When you feel the temptation to take it all on your own shoulders, to try and power your own way through this life, remember this feast of joy. Remember what our God has done for you. All you have to do is simply accept these gifts, receive, and believe. You don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. But you can simply believe in the perfect gifts of the perfect one. Praise be to God, from whom all blessings flow. Amen.